One of the big things that we are seeing in the news right now is this thing called the coronavirus. How many of y'all have heard of that? Anybody? Yeah, just a little bit. And what's the, the, the big fear is that everybody has about this is that this is the end of the world plague, right? Or the zombie apocalypse, one of the two. We haven't figured that out. But I mean, it's a fear because it's spreading like wildfires. And I was reading about this. So I was like, all right, what do I... At first, when I heard this, I'm like, I, I just really don't care, you know? Like, I, I, I don't like to go to the doctor unless I have to, that kind of stuff. Like, the whole time my voice was out, my wife's like, go to the doctor. And I said, I'm a man. And I hadn't been to the doctor. I won this round this week, so, but I, I love you, Allie. You're beautiful. So, um, anyway, so I was researching. I'm like, so if this thing is serious, I need to know the side effects in case I might have the coronavirus. You know, I, I want to know when it says it's a lot like pneumonia. You get a fever. Um, it's hard to breathe. And there's a lot of mucus. And I thought this week I might have it. But the truth was is that I, I, I didn't um, because it, it's starting to go away. And it said that the, the problem with the coronavirus is that it's so quick to spread. That it says between people or who are close contact with one another about six feet. So, if you don't want to catch it, stay six feet away from everybody. Well, we all failed this morning, okay? And then through respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes. That is the best way you're going to get it, that if you inhale somebody else's water droplets when they cough or sneeze. Yes, that's pretty nasty. Um, but it goes on to say that you can get it from surfaces and just touching your mouth and then touching something that it, that it is highly contagious. And as you've seen, it's been like uh, 7% of the people that have it have died from it. And that's why everybody's so terrified because they don't think there's a cure. And it's all over the news because people are really scared. Anytime any virus happens and we can't find the cure, people are terrified. But what if I told you this morning that there's something more dangerous that we face every single day than the coronavirus that we should be more afraid of? That it affects more people every single day than the flu, the plague, or any of that stuff. And its effects last far longer than any of that. You know what it is? It's you. It's me. It's each and every one of us. Every time that we interact with someone, we leave an impact. Every time that we interact with somebody, each and every day, we leave an impact. Because what's going on is that everything that we are in our family, in our history, in our makeup, is colliding with everything they are. And somewhere in there, there's going to be a rub and there's going to be an impression or an impact made. And the depth of the impact, it always varies. Some of you are here today and you're, you're new and you wonder why we call ourselves radius because we believe in circles. No, we believe that you should have impact. Y'all get it now, right? Yeah. Geometry joke. Okay, there we go. So we are called radius because the area around us, we want to have an impact in our area around us where we have influence. Every single person in this room, you have an area around you where you have major influence. And it's what you do with that that matters. If you're a father or mother, your, your radius is your home. Then it's your, your, your parents and your extended family. And then it's work, it's your teams and all the other stuff you play on. 
And inside of each and every one of our radiuses, we have that influence. And what we do with that influence can alter or affect others. Think about that. What we do with the influence that we have in our radius of our zone around us can alter or affect other people's lives. Is there a little bit more weight to it now? Do we wake up and we realize the impact that we have? It can have significant influence or damage. We never want to think about the damage part. We want to think about the influence part. But we don't want to think about the damage part. But the truth is, just as much as we can influence somebody, we can cause some damage. What we do in our radius matters. And today we're going to pick up in the story of Joseph. Uh, we've been talking about him for the past couple of weeks. But this week the, the narrative zooms in past Joseph onto his father Jacob once again. And the influence that he had on his sons. And we would all agree a father's influence on his son is significant, correct? Very correct. Um, and we love our fathers. And most of us have great stories about our fathers and, and what they've done for our lives and how we are who we are today because of our fathers. But for some of us, when we think about the word dad and father, it hurts a little bit. Because there's a percentage of us, when we hear that word, we don't quite like it. There's this guy that came up with this theology um, about, it's called father wounds. And it says that there's a percentage of people that are starting to deal with this in our society now. And it's the wounds they have had from a father or not a father being present in their life. And there's one guy that you might know, Bo Jackson, one of the greatest athletes I consider of all time. We did this one day. Some of my friends, we listed some of the greatest athletes. I put Bo Jackson, and they said LeBron James. I'm like, no, Bo Jackson. He was the fastest. He was the strongest. The things he did was just incredible. But here's what I want you to get. That this is what he said. My father has never seen me play a football or a baseball game. Can you imagine, here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room evening, envying every other teammate whose dad would come in and talk to him. They would come in and have a drink with them after the game, and I never experienced that. And at the very top of the athletic ladder, and yet Bo Jackson still had a wound that was left by his father. And there's this other guy named Jens Pulver. And Jens Pulver, he competed in, um, w, what is it, MMA, lightweight, UFC, there it is. And he was a 5'7 lefty, little tiny guy. And he was one of the, the first ever ultimate fighting champions. He became a Christian later. And he talked about how when he was a kid, his dad always told him he was worthless. And there was moments in his life where the dad would put a gun in his mouth. And he wouldn't pull the tr trigger because he said, you're not worth the bullet. And when he finally won UFC, he said this. It's like when he got on TV and they asked him about how did he feel about winning this? This is what he shouts. See, Dad, I did amount to something. So his entire life was built around overcoming that wound that his daddy had gave him. Saying that my life matters. And so this idea of father wound is a definition is that it's an ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit Ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with the dad. For some of us in here today, we got some wounds that just got a little bit opened up. Or touched a little bit and they're a little bit sore. For some of us, you know, we, we had great dads. But even with that, we have to understand that no matter 
who our dad was and how much we love him, that even a little bit of part of our daddy was flawed. It says this in Hebrews 12, 9 through 10. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. And ultimately what the author Hebrews is saying is that, listen, your dad's not Jesus. So at some point, if you want to say everybody in your family's perfect, they're not because they're not Christ, right? Only one perfect. So where do we go with this? This is where I want to leave us. As we pick up this today, what I want to challenge us, whether you're a father, I want you to understand the influence that you have on your kids. If you don't have kids, you like me, you're just a stud walking the streets. You got to sit there and ask yourself, it's like, what influence do I have on my radius? What influence am I having on the, am I, am I leading people for the better or, or am I causing wounds for the people around me? And the third person I want you to look at this, if I'm the wounded, I want you to be open to, to really evaluate that today. How am I letting that affect me? So here's what I want to do. With that being said, as a father, as an influencer, and as a wounded person, how do we live a life leading our radius with major impacts while minimalizing wounds? If you look with me at Genesis 42, 29, we'll start there. So as we get there, as you turn there, if you got your Bibles, oh, it's up behind me. Um, here's what's going on. Jacob had just sent his sons down. There's this great famine in the land. Those seven years of prosperity and Joseph is in Egypt. He's second in command and he led them and he gathered up all this crop and he stored it up so that when the famine hit, everybody was coming to Egypt for, this, for the food, for survival. They were coming to him for hope. Um, we call that irony that the one person that they sold into slavery is now the one person they're going to for survival. So they come back and they go down there and they ended up having it where Joseph keeps their brother Simeon, lets them all go back and say the only way they can come back to the land is if they bring Benjamin. If they bring his little brother Benjamin back. And this is pretty interesting because Benjamin uh, and Joseph were the only um, brothers of the one of the same mother. They had a close bond. And so he says, I want you to bring him back. Now, this is about 20 years from the time that Joseph was sold into slavery. So 20 years down the road, they go up, Simeon's in jail, they come back, and this is a 30-day travel. To go from Canaan to go to Egypt is 30 days. I looked it up. The average donkey could walk five miles in a day with, with stuff on his back. So in order to go down and back is two months. So the kids, his kids had already gone down and back, stayed there for a little while. So it's about two, two and a half months. They've been down there, and they come back. And they meet their daddy. And this is where we pick up in verse 29. And he says, When they reached their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The man who was in the Lord's, the man who was in, uh, who 
is the Lord of the country, spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. But we told him we are honest and not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of the same father, one who was no longer living, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who was the Lord of the country said to us, This is how I will know if you are honest. Leave one brother with me, take the food to relieve the hunger of your household, and go back and bring back your youngest brother to me, and I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give them your brother back to you, and you can trade in this country. And as they began emptying their sacks, they realized each man's sack, his bag was full of silver. When they and their father saw their bag of silver, they were afraid. And their father Jacob said to them, It's me that you make childless. Joseph is gone and Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin and everything happens to me. So what's going on is Joseph is the guy they're talking about, the Lord of the country. And he sent him back and said, you can come back, you can trade, you can get all you need. But I need to know that you're not spies by bringing your brother back and I can see that you're honest. And so you got to imagine what the brothers are going through at this moment. Because at this time in their life, do you think they, they realize their dad is a little bit off his rocker? Probably so. You know, he's the one that gave one kid a special robe and like put him up against the other. They knew their dad had some fathering issues as it went. So they're coming back trying to figure out how we're going to work this out. And here's one of the things that if you go back and you look, they already coming back and they talk and they add this little line in there to try to convince their dad to send Benjamin back. And it says, listen, I will then give your brothers back to you at the end of 34 and you can trade in this country. Joseph never said that. But for some reason, they thought that they were going to have to do this to influence their dad to do what they wanted him to do. If you ever have to come up with a lie that you need to tell so somebody will take your side, is it because you have a good relationship going on with that person? Probably not. So here's what I want us to look. First step of how we can influence our radiuses while minimalizing the wounds that we get is we're going to see this is we need to be the victor, not the victim. Need to be the victor, not the victim. How did uh, Jacob respond? Verse 36, this is what he says to his kids. It's me that you make childless. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. How many of y'all have ever heard your, 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 your children cry that out? Why me? Oh, you just hate me. You know? If you don't get me this toy, I will die. I'm sure I never said that, but five times a day, but you know, that, that's what it is. There's this habit about us that we have to choose as adults, as leaders, is that when things go on in life, the way we lead is that we have to lead from a point of victory, not the victim. Jacob should have been excited. They are facing a famine. Like, this is what I want you to get. There is no food. Famine means there is no food. If you don't get food, you die. And that's a miserable way to die. Starvation. And so his sons come back, and they come back, and they got food. So guess what? They get to live. But not only that, the man gave him back his money. So they went down there, and they come back with more money, and they got the food. There should be some joy going on here. 
But what he's looking at is all the negatives that's around him and he wants to play the victim card. Why is the victim card so popular? And, and I hate to say this, but it's not just Jacob, but this is prevalent in our culture today too. Everybody wants to be the victim instead of the victor. Everybody wants to be the victim because somehow, some way, we have got this idea that if we play the victim, that all attention is good attention. We want people to feel sorry for us. We, we want people to like look at us and be like, oh, poor him. But that's not how we can be as leaders. We can't play the victim that we have to live a life that when circumstances happen, we live out of it from victory. That instead of looking at woe is me, uh, why does everything happen to me? We look at it from the fact of what he should have done is like, oh, God has provided. But he didn't. And what he's passing on down here to his children is that taking the low route and pouting and whining is okay. He's passing on this idea of victim mentality. That where if things don't go your way, it's going to be somebody else's fault. So they start to pick that up. Now look at verse uh, 37 with me. We continue on. He says, all right, then Reuben said to his father. All right, now this is pretty interesting. Then Reuben said to his father, Reuben is the oldest, said to his father, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. So Reuben's way of trying to get his father to allow him to go down and get Simeon and come back with Benjamin is this. If things don't go well, you can kill my kids. We're talking to somebody who's being pretty rational, right? No. But Jacob answers, my son will not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is alone is left. If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring uh, gray hairs down to Sheol in my sorrow. So the next thing is, is not only do we need to live from be a victor over a victim, we need to be rational. As adults, as leaders, we have to be rational. We cannot answer irrationality with irrationality. So they have a conflict on their hands and the way Reuben is trying to get his daddy to let him go down there and get his son back and then trust him. He's saying, you can kill my kids. That's pretty bright, right? You know, uh, I've read up about this, like, is this real serious? Some people say that he was being serious. Some people say that this is just a saying that happened in those days. Like um, we would say today, like, you know, uh, if the creek don't rise, something like that. It was just a saying of the time, like, oh, you could kill my son. If it, it was like an oath you make and it, it was one of their things. But regardless for that to be said, it shows that he's seeing irrationality. And so he decides to answer with irrationality. And so when I look at this, I think that we have to be rational. But what would make Reuben want to answer that to his father? Why would he respond to him in that way? And it's straight because this is a guy that's been wounded. This is the oldest of the family. And what do we know about the oldest of the families in those times? They're supposed to be the important. And he had lost his father's respect because of something he did. And all he's doing now is trying to step up to the plate. And it's a cry of, Daddy, would you love me again? 
Daddy, would you trust me again? Daddy, if you allow me to do this, maybe I can get back in your good graces. And for some of us who are wounded, we can understand this. Sometimes we think that uh, if we work ourselves hard enough, we can prove our worth to fill that wound. Or that the more we work, the better we are in front of the, uh, the, our fathers and fill that wound. Or if I only hit so many home runs, maybe my dad would love me. If I make so much money. That there's some people in here that our wounds are so deep, we spend the rest of our lives like this little 5'7 um, UFC fighter that his whole goal was to prove to his daddy he wasn't a failure. To fix that wound. And this is the cry of Reuben that he is trying to just say, hey, I'm crying, just pay me attention. But he answers it with irrationality. The way we answer is we should answer with rational thought. In First Peter it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. That we need to have our minds fully sober. That they are alert. Meaning that we're prepared that when life happens, we don't be irrational. When there's drama going on, that we, we, we're leading out of rationality. So I tell you, you know, that as you think about that, as, as leaders, as fathers, we have to be rational. We have to be rational because irrationality can cause damage. Now look at verse 43 with me. We keep on going. It says, now the famine in the land was severe. When they had used up the grain they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man specifically warned us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go for the man has said to us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. Now, here's what sticks out to me. Right here, verse 43. Now, the famine in the land was severe. Means that this was severe. People were starving. There was no food. And when they had used up the grain, they had brought back from Egypt. So when they came back, the first thing they told their daddy is, our brother is in jail. And the only way he is going to get out is if we take Benjamin back and prove to this man, which is their brother Joseph, that... They're not liars. They're honest people. And so what do they do? Nothing. They sit and wait till the food runs out and they're in a situation where they have to make a choice. I mean, think about that. If your kids were starving, would you wait till the food ran out to try to figure out something? Truth is, some of us might. Because what we see here is that Jacob is taking the role of passivity. He's taking this role that if I don't do anything, maybe it will go away. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Have y'all seen that in your family's dynamics? Have you seen that as a father that maybe if I just ignore it, it will go away? If they're over there yelling and screaming in the middle of Walmart, if I ignore them, they'll go away? I haven't experienced that. I hope to one day. And I hope not to ignore it either. 
But whenever life happens and we're cut deep, if I ignore it, maybe it will go away. And that was Jacob leading this and his kids are watching him. That the son's in jail, they're running out of food and their lives depend on it. And I don't know what he's doing, but he's not doing anything. He is living a life of passivity. And as a leader, we cannot be passive. We cannot have the game plan of, I'm just going to sit back and see what happens. And so he gets to this point that he's just being passive. Just a little side note that as leaders and as parents, we have to be proactive. That doesn't mean we act without seeking God's will. But when there's problems, when there's issues that go on in your family, in your life, in your dynamics, there has to be some proactivity in that. I have, I, I got a good family. I love them. But I think back in my life when there was some drama and some stuff that happened that went on, we just act like it never happened. And if I, if somebody would have been proactive in my life and maybe got me to a counselor, I might not have been an angry elf my whole life. I mean, but I grew up with anger because some of the wounds I dealt with because passivity was the answer. If we just ignore it, it'll go away. And so many times in families, we have that. So it's, as influencers in your radius, you cannot be passive all the time. As parents, you cannot just ignore issues and think they're going to go away. Sometimes you have to step up to the plate, even though it hurts, and deal with them. Because the wound you're going to make by stepping up to the plate is going to be so far less than by just letting it go. And then years down the road, it makes a difference. And now in 43, verse 6, here's where he goes. Jacob's talking again. Why have you called me so much trouble? Israel asked. Why did you tell the man that you had another brother? And they answered, the man kept asking about us, our family. Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And we answered him accordingly to how we could have, so how we could, we know that he would say, bring your brother here. So we answered so he would know what we how he wanted us to answer. Verse 8, Then Judah said to his father Israel, Send the boy with me. We will be on our way so that we may live and not die. Neither we nor you nor our dependents. I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will be guilty before you. If we have not delayed, we could have come back twice. So going on now, here we go to the next stage. We're in this conversation, all right? And Jacob looks at them and he says, why have you caused me so much trouble? Why did you tell the man you even had a brother to begin with? Classic. Man, we love to do this in America. I love this one. When something goes wrong, whose fault is it? Most of the time, it's anybody but mine. I don't like accepting responsibility. Nobody wants to be the problem. But when stuff goes on, we don't want to be the problem. We don't want to accept responsibility. And so we have this dynamic between a father and a son. And the son sees the father acting irrational once again, failing to lead. And he steps up to the plate and says, I'll accept the responsibility of it. But Jacob looks and says, why have you caused me so much trouble as if this whole thing isn't partly his fault? If you go all the way back, why did the brothers hate Joseph in the beginning and want to sell him into slavery? Oh, because dad gave him a robe and made him think he was special when he would tell everybody about these dreams. And nobody stepped up to father him and say, Joseph, that may be true, but shut up, they're going to kill you. 
But now he don't want the blame for it. He don't want to accept any responsibility for this. And it's his son that has to step up to the plate and say, I'll do it. Just let me go. Instead of saying like Reuben, hey, you can take my sons and kill them if I don't come back. He looks at him now and says, this is my life. And I'll accept the responsibility. I don't care who it's on, but I'm going to go because it's what God needs somebody to do. And while Jacob was being obtuse to the reality of the part that he had to play, his son was willing to accept responsibility. And here's what we got to do as fathers. We have to be willing to accept responsibility when we're wrong. As influencers in, in our circle, we don't like to be wrong. And I and Allie can tell you this. I don't like it. I will argue up and down. You know, yeah, she's over there like going to record this and play it back for me at the house. I don't like to be wrong. But I've learned that I have to be wrong in order to have a good marriage. You know? Let that sink in. But we don't want to accept responsibility. Because there's a selfishness built inside of us. And once again, that when we're in this dynamic as a father or as an influencer, if we don't accept responsibility, we're causing more damage than good. We're creating more wounds for the people around us. Because when nobody accepts responsibility, people are going to look who to blame. I think about this. Y'all remember Hurricane Katrina? Like This was the thing that bothered me the most. Is like It wasn't even before the hurricane was over and people were standing on their roofs. They were already on the news arguing whose fault it was. Y'all remember that? And I'm like, why does it matter? It's my fault. Get it over with. Save the people. But we, 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 we look for um, sometimes in our nature is that we have to find somebody to blame instead of acting. But so what happens is when somebody accepts responsibility, it allows others to move forward. You see what I'm saying? That if somebody accepts responsibility, it allows resolution to come. It allows others to move forward because if you don't, people are going to argue something about our nature that if nobody claims whose fault it is, if you're in a car full of guys, somebody's got to claim it. Trust me. You know what I mean, boys? Um, but, it, but somebody's got to accept it or we cannot move forward until somebody claims it. And then you go and you look, verse 11. This is where it starts to get it. It says, then their father Israel said to them. Now notice the switch here. The name from Jacob to Israel. Israel wrestled with God and came out. That's what it means. And Jacob means deceiver. So he switched right here and he uses this new name. He says, then their father Israel said to them, it must be so. Then do this, put some of the best products of the land in your packs and take them down to the man as a gift, a little balsam, a little honey, um, aromatic gum, resin, pistachios and almonds. Okay, pistachios and almonds? That was a big deal back then apparently. Hey, that's pretty cool though. All right, take twice as much silver with you. Return the silver that was returned to you in the top of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the once to the man. May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your brother and Benjamin to you. As for me, if I am deprived of my sons, then I am deprived. Then the men took the gift and the double amount of silver and Benjamin and they immediately went down to Egypt and stood before God. Now, if you will notice throughout the narrative 
of Joseph's life and his daddy Jacob, the word Jacob in Israel is intertwining of what the Moses used to name Jacob at the moment. When Jacob is acting like the deceiver that he is, he calls him Jacob. But when Jacob starts to act on the way that God wants him to act, he calls him Israel. And so right here he goes down and he says, Then their father Israel, because this is important, their father, this is the one time that we see that Jacob acted how he should have acted as a father. He lets them go. But what I love is this last line he says down here. He says, as for me, if I am deprived of my sons, then I am deprived. Hereafter it all is said and done, he gets back to where he should be. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's heard the stories about how great God is. And in this, in this proclamation of I am deprived, I am deprived. There's so much meat in that. And ultimately what he is saying is that no matter what happens, I'm leaving it up to God. What do I really control? See, we can worry. We can be anxious. Uh, we can... We can cause all this other stuff in our life, but what do we really control? If we don't leave it at the feet of Christ, we're going to find something else to fill that emptiness. And he says, if I'm deprived, I'm deprived. And when I read that, it stuck out to me. I thought about the book of Esther. Um, Esther was going to go to the king and tell and, and, um, Beckett on his behalf for, to that Haman was trying to kill all the Jewish people. And, and the rules back then was that if you went before the king unannounced, he could kill you. And Esther made this proclamation. She said, if I perish, I perish. What do I really control in life? And as I've grown, that, that is a, a cree, um, a battle cry that has stuck out in my life. If I perish, I perish. See, I deal with anxiety. I don't know if some of y'all know that. I deal with anxiety. Um, uh, Coach Young met it the other day. We're in the elevator. Like, I hate elevators. And I've had panic attacks. And we, we're over there for the football team getting recognized for state championship. And they want to take us to the tallest building in South Carolina in the elevator. And so what I loved is that uh, the superintendent put a picture on Twitter and it tells the story. Everybody else is looking at the camera. I'm looking at the building like, no. I was already afraid. And so we get over there and Coach Young, he don't, he's with me. He, he don't like elevators. And um, we, get, we get on there and I'm just getting nervous because I didn't want to be in that. It's just I was afraid of a panic attack and I'm sitting there in my mind. It's like, okay, God, what do I can really control? If I perish or perish, have no control over anything in my life, it's, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be fine because that's what I go to when I get nervous and anxious. I'm like, God, I don't control anything. I'm resting in you. So I'm at peace. If I die in this elevator, I die. No, I mean, it's morbid. That's how I think. Okay. But that is, but that is, that is comfort to me. Because that, that moment in my life where I realized that there's nothing that I truly control. That if I'm driving down the street and another car comes over and hits me, there's nothing I can control about it. So why should I worry? Why should I just get all anxious about all this stuff and cause myself stress and lose more hair and more gray when I really have nothing to do with it at all? 
If I perish, I perish. That has become my life motto and my cry that I am leaving it at the feet of Christ. And so I say that we look in Jacob and how we need to be as leaders, how we need to be as fathers, how we need to be as influences or people around us that we got to get to that point in our life that where we leave things at the feet of Christ. You want to teach your kid a lesson, teach them not to be anxious and worry because when problems arise, you take things to prayer. That you teach them, we're going to trust in Christ. We're not going to worry. But in our own lives, that we have to be willing to know that we can't control anything and that God has got it all. So as we get to the end, this is what I just want to leave you with. Number one. What impacts are you making in your radius? Each and every one of you, you got this area around you where you have influence that your life is rubbing with other people's lives. Are you impacting them for the good or are you leaving wounds? Fathers, are you doing good to your child? What lessons are you teaching them? Are you creating a great influence, are you leaving your kids' wounds that they're going to deal with for the rest of their life? Are they thinking that they're going to have to hit 500 million home runs for you to love them? They're going to have to work 70 hours a week to earn your respect while they neglect their family. Fathers, what are you teaching your kids? What influence are you having on them? Because it says, listen, this is what we need to do as fathers. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of Christ. Lead how God would lead. Be intentional. And lastly, if you're one of the people in here today that Um, you have father wounds to this day that you know you struggle with and that you've been inflicted. You got some options. You can deny it. You can choose to be the victim and justify it and listen. There's some people that have wounds so deep and such bad things have happened to them that I don't blame you. It's hard. Or the third option is the one I think scripture recommends is for us to move forward towards redemption. But it will require you to make some choices in order to heal those wounds that you have and start sealing them up to break the cycle. You got to choose to forgive. You know, we see that throughout the gospel is that the recognition is that we should forgive because of how much we have been forgiven. Now, this doesn't mean you go up to them at that moment and say, hey, I forgive you. But it does mean you start that process. But then not only that, you choose to forgive, you choose to release it to God's justice. See, with those father wounds and a lot of hurts, we everybody has this. We hang on to them Because we feel like if we hang on to them so close and we guard ourselves, we won't feel them again. Y'all with me? That if we just, if we hang on to them tight and we guard ourselves, we won't get hurt again. But what we don't understand is that while we're hanging on to this and guarding us, we're pushing other people out. 
we're not living. And what we've been talking about is that's exactly why Joseph named his son Manasseh. And it means God help me forget my troubles. And for some of you today, you got to, you got to choose to allow God uh, to allow you to release it to God's justice. You need to let God Manasseh you. You need to go with that and say simply and say, God, help me forget my troubles. You need to give it to him and walk away. And we shouldn't be the kind that want to pay back evil with evil, but we give it to him. And the last one is, is that some of us in here, we need to choose to reconcile. That we have these wounds, we have given it to God, but we've never taken that step of trying to make things better. For each and every one of us that have those wounds, we're on different areas of those levels. But God is leading us today to make that step. So here's where we end this, guys. That as we come to this time of prayer and the band comes, this is the challenge I have. What kind of impact are you making with your life? Are you leaving good impacts or are you wounding your family? Are you wounding the people around you? Are you wounding the people at work? And those of you that are wounded, are you willing today to let it go and to come get healing? Are you willing to take that first step, which is just saying, hey, I'm choosing to forgive this and start that process of reconciliation? Guys, that's what we're about here. We're about trying to change and we're a family. We got people in here that love you and be glad to walk through this with you. We'll have people in the back to pray with you. All we ask is if you've got any questions about any of this, just start a conversation with us. You don't have to have all the answers because we don't have all the answers. Let's just start a conversation to start on this path of following God and healing marriages, healing families, and healing wounds. Let us pray. God, we do. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can look at it and, and see through the chaos of one family of how we need to live better. God, I pray that we will be people that have great impacts all around us and that we do less wounding of people. But God, right now I pray for the people in here that this message hurts, that it opened up some things that they probably stored and didn't want to talk about. God, I pray that this month, this day doesn't just come out as, oh, that hurt, but they look at it as a point where maybe I need to deal with this. Maybe I need to let go of this so I can love more and I can love how you want me to love. Or maybe I can start to live and move on with my life. So God, give us the strength today to do business with you wherever it is. If we need to make a commitment as a father that I'm going to do better. If we need to make a commitment as a leader that I'm going to live different because I don't want to wound the people around me. Or if it's somebody that's wounded that just needs to stand up and say, I'm letting this go. God, I pray that we do that. Whether it's in our seats or we go back and talk to somebody, God, I pray that you move today. and We don't walk out of this place being the same people, but we walk out of this place changed. That we surrender what we got to you because you are good. And at the end of the day, if we perish, we perish. We control nothing and you control it all. So we need to let go of the things that we have and give it to you. Because you are the great comforter, you are the great healer, and you are the sustainer. Let us live in that. We give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app 
from your app store.